Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Fiona Birkin, CEO of Morris Corporation. It's fantastic to have you along today, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Fiona Birkin. I've known Fiona for many years, and she's got a really fascinating story of somebody who grew up working in the hospitality industry and then in her family's own businesses, joining Morris Corporation in a marketing role, and having worked in the organisation for many years, seeing that role grow to being in the role of CEO up until 2012, stepping back into a marketing role, and then more recently stepping back into the role as CEO of Morris Corporation in 2014. She's a great lady and it's a great chat, but before I introduce her to you properly, firstly let me introduce myself to those who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any recruitment needs in your own business, I would welcome the opportunity to have a chat about how we can help you. Let me now introduce to you Fiona. Fiona Birkin is the CEO of Morris Corporation, where she has worked for approximately 19 years. Morris Corporation is Australia's leading privately owned remote village and asset management specialist. Fiona has a Bachelor of International Business and also has graduated an MBA with distinction. Fiona lives in Queensland, Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Fiona Birkin. Well, Fiona, uh, welcome to uh, the Arate podcast uh, out here at your office on a rather gloomy yet very uh, humid Brisbane summer's day. Uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, talk with us. Perhaps just to begin with, if you could let the people listening know uh, about your current range of professional responsibilities. Thanks, Richard. Great to be with you this morning too. Um, at the moment, and for a long, long period of time, I've worked for Morris Corporation. Right. Um, currently CEO. Um, we, uh, on top of that, uh, some other responsibilities. I'm on the Australian Mines and Metals Association board. Okay. Um, I'm a member of um, the Safer Together Senior Leadership Group, mm-hmm. which is actually a combination of the six major oil and energy players in Queensland right? and their top uh, I think it's 14 contractors so it's a group of 20 and Mm -hmm. um, you know for example the CEO of Origin Arrow, Santos etc attend these forums on a monthly basis and we'll get together and work through you know how we can um, improve safety culture across the industry oh fantastic and so for those people who are unfamiliar with morris uh, tell us a little bit about the business and what you do etc sure morris is a um we specialize in village management and asset management for the remote services sector mm-hmm. um we have been around for 20 years or actually 50 years as morris catering 
um, Morris Catering did some work in the United Na- for the United Nations in Africa. Right. Where the founder of the company was um, actually killed during that um, mission. Okay. Along with his son. Mm-hmm. Um, when was that? That was in 1996. Okay. Um, Robert McVicker, who was the managing director of Morris Catering at the time, did a management buyout of the Australian arm mm-hmm. of the business with three contracts, and the remaining son took over all the other international business. Right. Um, so Robert started with three villages in Australia uh, in 1996, incorporated the, the name Morris Corporation mm-hmm. uh, out of respect for David, mm-hmm. um, and he'd been with that company most of the previous time. Um, I then started early 1997, so basically I've been with the company from uh, Morris Corporation, yeah, sure. from its incorporation. Okay. Um, and I then started as a marketing coordinator. Mm-hmm. Within a year, I was promoted to um, group business development manager, and uh, there's a funny story behind that too. I'm not sure. I won't share it now. Maybe it'll come up yeah, later. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, certainly cover <laughs> off uh, that uh, later in the conversation. And mm-hmm. so, um, essentially, where there's a significant mining operation and they have their workers who are living at a, uh, a village-type um, uh, remote facility, yeah. you provide the, um, a range of services. Yes, and, and, and it's quite a large range too, actually. We okay. do anything from... Most people think of us as caterers, but right. we're not just caterers. Yeah. We, we it, It's more like we run a resort and everything associated right. with that resort, including airports. We manage airports. We do the fueling of the airplanes. Okay. We do the uh, baggage handling, the tarmac, um, looking after the tarmac, the um, ticketing, mm-hmm. et cetera. So... Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual physical infrastructure, the facilities, are not owned by you. The buildings and not accommodation side. No, yeah. no, not generally. We do own five villages. Okay. Um, but as a general rule, they are client-owned, and we will generally just provide the facilities maintenance. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes we will provide, in the case of Origin, all the non-process infrastructure asset management. Okay. So. Right. And you mentioned uh, when the business was formed, it was with three villages. Give us an idea of, you know, how large, uh, how many um, facilities and how many employees, etc. now. Yeah, we've got over 40 villages at the moment. Um, And our employee base is around 1,200, but it has been as high as 2,000. Okay. Um, It varies, obviously, depending on, you know, the... the, um, commodity mm-hmm. price environment of our clients and as you know at the moment um, whilst I believe that is picking up it has some um, um, there was a severe downturn in mm-hmm. the last couple of years mm, definitely and uh, still only within Australia or you have international operations as well we have been international in PNG uh-huh. with Morris Corporation Morris Catering had a lot of um, international uh, missions uh, but Morris Corporation, P&G, we did pull out of there a few years ago, but now we're actively looking at getting back into P&G. Okay. Um, 
We've got people on the ground up there. We've got people in this office that um, are from PNG. Mm -hmm. And um, we've also got someone in Africa looking at researching the African market for us. Okay. Um, And I imagine that most of the contracts that you enter into must be, you know, quite significant time frames because of the cost to establish and and run these operations, etc. You know, what would be a typical sort of length of contract that you would have with one of your clients? Yeah, look, unfortunately, I, I would imagine when you add it all up, the average is two to three years. Mm-hmm. But we're fortunate enough, especially with our most our two most um, um, our key clients which is Fortescue Metals Group and Origin, mm-hmm. Fortescue in the West and Origin in the East, um, five-year contracts. Right. Mm. And at the end of five years, then they'd go and retender, you know, and you'd be competing to win the work back. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. okay, oh, good. Well, Sometimes uh, they'll give you an extension. Sometimes uh-huh. there's some, you know, extensions afforded and they'll give that to you. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll certainly, uh, you know, do a deeper dive on that a bit later in this conversation. But let's... Uh, go back to uh, tell me about where you were born and, you know, your early life, etc. Okay, long time ago again. (laughs) (laughs) Not that long ago. (laughs) No. (laughs) I was born in Narracourt, South Australia, which is a uh, little town that was well known, in the southeast of South Australia, that was well known for the Narracourt Caves, that's why it was Uh famous. Now it's actually because it's right in between the Coonawarra Winery and the Padthaway Winery. Okay. yeah, Little Narracourt's changed quite dramatically. What was famous about the caves there? Oh, I think they were uh, uh, the most extensive caves in, in all of Australia. Oh, is mm, that right? Lots of fossils. Okay. And, yeah. Okay. Mm. And so how big was that town when you were uh, living there? Uh, 7,000 people, but I was actually brought up on a farm which was 15 miles outside, right. of, um, on, outside of Narracourt on a place called Lock Harbour. Okay, and your Had parents... one of those little schools where, right. you know, um, year one to seven is primary school, is all right. in the same classroom. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that didn't last long. After year one, I went to, I ended up going to, they closed it and I went to the Narragut school. Okay, mm. and uh, your parents were farmers? Yes. Uh, right, what did they farm? Uh, we had cattle, sheep, oats, lucerne. Okay, Yeah. right. Mm. And uh, brothers and sisters? Twin brothers and a sister. Okay. Mm. And what number were you? One. Number one. A lot mm. of the uh, CEOs I talk to are number one. Are they? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would say the, the vast majority are. Really? Yeah. And so it was you and then two twin brothers. No, my sister are 12 months apart and then okay. my twin brothers were born six years after me. Okay, so, right. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, primary schooling and then uh, you did your high schooling locally as well? I did. I went to the Narracourt High um, you know, I always knew I wanted a career, which was not common. I'm 53, so back then it was not that common for mm-hmm. women to want a career. Um, I finished year 11. I was ducks of weird combination, I must admit. Ducks of economics, ducks of biology and ducks of English. All right. Um, but not so good at maths okay. at that time. Right. Um, but... A very dear friend of mine and an ex-boyfriend actually was tragically killed in a car accident mm-hmm. um, at that time. And I don't know, something just in me said, that's it, I'm getting out of here. Right. So So it, uh, you just felt that uh, life was too short to, you wanted to get out and, and explore? 
I think so. Okay. Yeah. Right. At that age, 16. Yeah. Um, it was difficult to know what triggered it. All mm-hmm. I, I know is that I wanted to get out of town. Mm-hmm. So I imagine You're that's right. what it was. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I, um, I'm sure growing up on a farm, um, you know, you had lots of uh, jobs to do actually on the farm. <laughs> but uh, did exactly. you did you have any sort of other jobs? Uh, you know, while you were at high school, etc. You know, no. working a paper run or working down no, at the... No, our family was pretty wealthy, actually. And when I went off to boarding school... Uh, sorry, not boarding school, business school. I chose to go to business school in, in Adelaide. Right. Um, and I boarded with a family friend. Yeah, I was given a significant amount of po- pocket money okay. every, every week. Right. <laughs> but it, you had some time between finishing at high no. school and 11? Or you went straight to business school Yeah, then? straight to business college. Okay. Um, so what, I, what would that be, say equivalent to a TAFE style? It um, was purely um, typing shorthand okay. and, and, and some other subjects. Right. But, yeah, okay. I suppose it is equivalent to um, right. TAFE these. Okay. And how long did that go for? Just 12 months. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and then what happened after that? After that, actually, I um, my grandparents owned a holiday home in Maroochydore. Right. And... I came up for a holiday okay. and I just, on the Sunshine Coast, mm-hmm. I just got off that plane and the minute I got off that plane, I knew mm-hmm. I'm not going home. Okay. <laughs> so again, I uh, all I did was have my holiday, went home, packed my bags over the weekend and came back up. And your parents were quite supportive of that? Yes, yes. I stayed in, um, very supportive actually, I stayed in my grandparents' holiday home for a little while they then bought a unit in mm-hmm. Malulabar for me mm-hmm. not for me it was yeah, their unit sure. but I stayed there no fridge uh-huh. I had to go and buy the milk every day and stick it in some cold water in the sink <laughs> but um and no furniture but right. um look eventually I, I got a job in real estate as a receptionist and mm-hmm. eventually my entire family um friends cousins uncles aunties grandparents they all ended up coming to the sunshine Coast. right yeah. So you uh, led the charge. Yes. <laughs> and your parents as well? Yes. After, well, they retired off their farm and... They sold the farm, although they had already sold the farm while I was... So they were in limbo a little bit too. Okay. While I was at business college, they were trying to work out what was their next right. step. Dad had had a bad back. Uh-huh. So I suppose it wasn't too hard of a decision for them to right. follow me. <laughs> and your brothers and sister uh, were probably quite excited that you'd, uh, you'd lured everybody to the Sunshine Coast as well? I think my sister was, absolutely. Um, she came up on that holiday. But my twin brother's a lot younger, mm-hmm. you know. They had the, the friends at primary school and I think they came kicking and screaming. But Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, how long did you stay working in real estate for? Not very long. I got a job in um, a hotel as a receptionist Okay. then. Mm-hmm. And um, within three months of that role... They offered me the catering manager's role. Okay. I was 17. Wow. I've still got no idea to this day why they did that. Uh-huh. But, um, had you had any experience in catering to that point? No, I couldn't even cook. <laughs> <laughs> still, I still can't cook. <laughs> uh, wow. So they, um, you know, they obviously saw something in you that gave them a level of confidence that uh, you were up for the task. You know, sure. what, what do you think were some of their the traits that you were demonstrating at, you know, that young age that they uh, felt encouraged by? Look, I've always just had this inherent drive. Okay. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And I'm blessed. Um, I also 
have never, in any job I've worked in, never thought the decision's always been made on what's best for the business, what's right. best for the business. It's just another natural thing that mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and probably dedication and loyalty. But um, it was a great learning experience for me. I mean, I had women my age now that were reporting to me. Right. And I didn't know what the hell they did. Right. So that was a very, very steep learning curve. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and so being a catering manager in a hotel resort, um, all the kitchens and, and, and all of the food served in, um, came under your responsibility? Yes. Wow, okay. <laughs> and so uh, what were some of the uh, you know the immediate things that uh, were quite daunting that you had to get your head around? I think mainly that. That's what I remember most, having these these people right. reporting to me that had been in the workforce for, um, you know, 30 or 40 years. Yeah. I'd been in it a year. Right. Um, and not having any knowledge of hotels or mm-hmm. catering or... Um, it was just bringing them along for the ride and getting them on site. And did you find that they were resistant to being managed by, you know, somebody probably as young as their own children or were they fairly... Uh, Receptive. Actually, they were fairly receptive. Okay. I had to, to I, 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 you know, picked out the leader in the group, you know, right. and sometimes that's not always yep. the senior person. And I worked with them. Okay. Um, <laughs> and got them on board, and right. then, of course, everyone else follows. Um, and I've seen that mistake being made by other people, actually, where, you know, they'll... they'll go with the senior figurehead mm-hmm. and, and just totally ignore mm-hmm. who is actually the leader yeah. of the, the informal leader and um, it can all go pear-shaped and okay. come, to, come to grief. And so how long were you uh, the catering manager there for? I think I was the eventually um, um, promoted to the assistant manager right. there and I was there for three years. Okay, and yeah. then what happened from there? Oh, good question. Um, I think my, that's right, my um, father, seeing as I just relatively recently moved to the Sunshine Coast, was pushing my mother into um, owning some businesses. Okay. Um, so she bought a boutique in Malulabara Ladies Boutique mm-hmm. and uh, I went to work for her. Okay. Yeah. And that must have been quite a change. Uh, you know, being somebody young with a lot of responsibility managing large teams of people mm. to going and then working in a retail store? It was, but it was, um, we had a couple of them. So okay. it was um, one in Gympie and one in Malula Bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was generally managing it and it was it was com- different dynamic, I suppose, from a, a larger business to a smaller business that was mine, right. essentially. Sure, yeah. Um, so financially, uh, I guess I developed those financial skills mm-hmm. or honed in more on those financial skills mm-hmm. during that. And not long after that, they uh, we bought a restaurant okay. as well. Uh, still up on the Sunshine Coast? Right. Yes. So yes. quite um, an entrepreneurial family then? I believe so, yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, um, and those businesses ended up being successful? Yes, yeah, yeah, we... Uh, Malula Bar we sold um, to make way for you know the um, progress and mm-hmm. hotels and whatever okay. um, because when we moved there there was no high rises right. at all so uh, Gympie didn't go so well um, 
we're trying to take a, a fashion to Gympie that probably they weren't ready for, even though we had had advice that they were for okay. people within Gympie. Fashion as in clothing fashion? Yes. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. You're a bit too uh, contemporary wear. A bit. Right, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, at what point um, did you then decide to, uh, to move on from your family businesses? Uh, when they sold the restaurant, or when we sold the restaurant, um, I decided um, I applied for a role at um, the Waterloo Bay Hotel as res- uh, restaurant manager, mm-hmm. and moved back to Bris- moved to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, just trying to think. You got to go back quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so I did that role for a little while. Um, then I think I decided to go to uni. That's right. Right. I, um, you know, being a number of years in hospitality mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, even with that, um, when I was running our own businesses, I was working other roles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, don't ask me why. I didn't have to. But, you know, I was managing hotels or duty manager of hotels for my uncle and auntie on the coast. So okay. I just realised, you know, this working from pretty much the minute you got out of bed till the minute you went to bed, um, I couldn't keep that up forever and ever. Um, Mm -hmm. So I went back to uni, I did a lot of research into what I thought would suit me and it ended up being marketing. Uh Um, So yes, I uh, spent the next four years at university because I did a postgraduate. Mm -hmm. Um, So you were studying full time? I was studying full time, and yeah. I supported myself by a late night manager of hotels. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. And so uh, you're a three year undergraduate, and then a year of honours. Yeah, uh, the undergrad was grad was an international business degree, majoring in marketing, mm-hmm. and you had to do a language with that. Yeah. So I chose Korean. Okay. Because everyone was doing Japanese. Right. And Korean was our second largest trading partner at okay. the time. Yeah. Or Korea. So I actually won a scholarship mm-hmm. and to do that, I, to do that I, a scholarship to do my postgraduate. So my postgraduate was actually in Korean language. Right. Mm, and I went to Korea and okay. did that. For a whole year? For six months of, okay. the, of the 12 months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, have you found the uh, Korean languages to be useful in your later life? No. <laughs> 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 Bummer. <laughs> I, I, I did have the opportunity of doing um, Indonesian, which I have had spent a bit of time in Indonesia. Yeah. And I kind of found myself wishing I'd done that, but you know, you don't know at the time, do you? Well, that's for sure. Mm. I mean, when I went to school, uh, the choice was German, French, or Japanese. Mm. And uh, I did German. I think we were obliged to do it for three years. I was terrible. And, um, you know, do you think now uh, it's all about, you know, doing Chinese and Indonesian and no doubt at some point in the future will probably change again. Mm. Uh, but as you say, you know, um, I suppose at the time they, you know, the the standard thought is that Korea is, you know, a, an important trading partner or you know it whatever was. it might be. Mm. And so, um, okay, so uh, uh, during that period, you're continuing to work in the hospitality industry. You go to you do your uh, twelve months uh, postgraduate, and and so what happened from there? I actually got quite ill when I was in 
career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look, I had this, this you know, all these international students in Korea and the, the opportunities just out of that. I mean, princes from Ethiopia, people, see, you know, wealthy people from Taiwan, etc., all asking for, you know, to go and visit them. Right. But unfortunately I wasn't well enough and, I, I, you know... I, they were asking you to go hmm. and visit them. Yeah. On what basis? Just the friends that we'd made friendships, right? Okay. And um, you know the opportunities mm-hmm. internationally abounded okay. after I'd finished that. Yeah. But unfortunately, I couldn't um, take, uh, you know, use that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I, can't, I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was culture shock or something like that. Yeah. I knew it couldn't be a down deep, but right. I didn't know what to put it down to. So I, I actually came back and for a couple of years I was uh, very ill um, and wasn't diagnosed. And, um, Working at the time? Uh, part-time. Right. And back living do. with your family? or? No, I was living with my a boyfriend in, okay. in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was doing payroll at a hotel during okay. that time. Um, finally diagnosed. Um, my parents were told that I had three months to live. Mm. I had applied for this role, mm-hmm. this marketing role in Morris. Right. Ten days after I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. I um, was offered the job. And I thought, well, this is a fantastic opportunity. It took, you know, at the time we were working internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, it was using my marketing background. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking it. Right. And uh, I'm going to beat this. Right. And... I for the next twelve months I basically worked mm-hmm. and slept. And my mother came to Brisbane and nursed me, and mm-hmm. um, I got through the worst of it. And, and did uh, Morris have any idea at the time no, of your condition? No, I couldn't right. tell them. Okay, and just to sort of segue into that a little bit further, um, you know, you made this choice. I'm I'm going to disregard what the uh, doctors have said, and you know, have a long and fruitful life. Did you investigate? You know, alternative medicine and things sure. like that at the time? Sure, did right. everything, everything I possibly could. Okay, and what mm. do you think, uh, you know, um, uh, were the predominant reasons why the three-month prognosis, uh, you know, didn't come to fruition? I think a lot of it had to do with the positive frame of mind, okay. to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And did you um, uh, look outside for, you know, ideas about how to develop that or was it something that you just intuitively did? Oh, it's something I just intuitively right, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And I think um, having this role within Morris and having right. to get up every day and go to work yeah. and, and um, succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I uh, joined as a marketing coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, what were the kind of things that you were involved in doing at the time? Um, actually, a lot of tendering, to be honest. Okay. Mm. So... Um, Yes, I'd have to write the responses to tenders. Okay. Um, and uh, and then how did the role evolve here? Well, for some reason, the um, group business development manager at the time resigned. Uh, and I guess I wasn't offered the role. I put my hand up for the role. Mm-hmm. I think the managing director, Robert, gave it to me with the thought that... Um, him and I, uh, he actually didn't like me, I found out later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he gave it to me with the thought that when I get around to recruiting All right. for this role... Um, he can uh, you yeah. find a good, valid reason to exit you from the business. Yes, okay, yes. Right. So um, 
that didn't quite go uh, follow his thought process. Okay. And um, um, yes, what happened was we went to a. Uh, we were working. We we're actually working on the site. I think it was Westpac at, uh, in Sydney, where mm -hmm. we were providing meals. It was a living college, and um, we weren't doing a great job. So you weren't purely in the mining space. You were doing, you know. At that time, no. Right. We'd um, we'd started to branch out, um, and that was mm -hmm. another lesson learnt. We, mm -hmm. we grew really quickly um, in stadiums and colleges, education, TAFEs, etc. But we, we grew that quickly that we had a cash flow problem. Right. Um, and we decided to call it consolidate back down okay. again. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry, mm. you, were, you were talking about, was it a Westpac account? Yes, yeah, yeah. And we weren't doing a great job. And we, at the time, we were a low-cost provider, mm -hmm. um, pricing strategy. And um, Robert just sort of, you know... I guess flicked it away. So when we got out of that meeting, I was absolutely furious and embarrassed. Right. And, uh, really had a go at Robert um, mm -hmm. about that, and we probably argued that entire day because we were in Sydney. And uh, um, after that, our relationship changed. I think that challenge okay. with Robert um, changed our relationship. Right. And, um, here I am today. Uh huh. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, he he saw you in the light of here's somebody that's. Uh, got you know strong beliefs and you know you were prepared to back yourself i think so right yeah. okay mm. and uh and so how did things then change for you within the business as a result of that um look as a result of that i um spent six years in that role uh -huh. um, with the business growing dramatically mm -hmm. um we had i initiated bringing a um general manager into the business because um, remember we'd started with three contracts yes. and we were just growing. Right. So we, we uh, with Robert, we looked at, um, further afield. We, we grabbed one of our competitors, some um, senior pe people, as mm -hmm. they were going through a merger or an acquisition. Mm -hmm. um, he stayed with us for a little while um, and then he came to me and said, Fiona, I think I don't have the energy for this role. Right. Um, or the drive or the ambition. He wasn't that old at the time. He was only 56. But he was reporting to you? Or no, no, he no, was my boss, my boss. Oh, he was your boss, right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, Robert's not a manager. Okay. Robert's a leader and an yeah. entrepreneur and, um, you know, he sort sure. of stays to the side of the business. Um, and said, I think that you would be better placed mm -hmm. to um, take this company to where it got, needs to go. Um, and I hadn't given that any consideration because I, I admired this guy. He was—he certainly taught me. Don't think one, two, or even three steps ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you think out the thing till the end, even yeah. if it's sixteen steps. Um, but in saying that, he was a bit of a desktop jockey, and, right. and this is a service business, and you need to get out mm -hmm. there and develop relationships. And mm -hmm. and so I took on the role. Um, bit hesitant, I was right. a bit concerned, okay. um, but I did take it on and um, found out then that uh, we were losing money. Right. Probably if I knew then what I, when I accepted the role, what I soon mm -hmm. found out, I don't know if I would have taken the role, okay. but I, I did. And, uh, and so um, uh, your hesitation was around 
you did some kind of internal skills audit and went, I'm not sure I've got the requisite skill set to, uh, to take on the responsibility. What, what were the areas that you felt concerned that you were lacking in? Um, good question. I just saw this gentleman as a total professional that had worked in a very large organisation, mm -hmm. very large multi uh, multinational organisation, and his depth of knowledge and experience far, far outweighed mine. In relation to general leadership and management or specifically in relation to the, the facility management industry? I think both. Okay. But he was very cool, calm and collected and mm -hmm. if we, we, we had crisis and we had plenty of crisis at that time, he mm -hmm. was very slow and measured mm -hmm. and, all, and like I said, used to think through things very, very logically and analytically and, um, and calmly and I was probably a bit hesitant about being able to um, do that uh -huh. with, with clients right. at my, my stage. Okay, yeah. but you chose to take it on regardless. Mm. Mm. And so what were some of the ways that you ensured that you developed the necessary skills to be able to manage it? Did you go out and seek any mentoring or coaching or you know, education or did, was it more just trial by fire, learning on the job? Well, actually, I actually began an MBA. Okay. As soon as I was appointed CEO, I mm -hmm. began an MBA. So that was one of the ways right. that certainly helped. Um, did that in my spare time. The other big part was just constantly putting myself out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Constantly putting myself into situations that I weren't, wasn't familiar with and learning how to. Right. Um, work within those situations. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was intended, you'd look at a situation and say, I'm deliberately putting myself to, into that because I know that as a result I'll grow. Yes. Right, okay. Mm. And um, and was that something that, again, you know, you'd, you'd learn by watching others do a similar thing or um, was this just an innate uh, orientation that you had? Yeah, I, again it was an innate orientation right I think okay. I, I'm majorly self-taught yeah yeah I haven't had the experience mm. a lot of the others have where they've moved around from different organizations right. and so I've had to continually or continuous learning mm. and so um, uh, and so really you know from that being uh, promoted internally into the role of CEO by the former your former boss um, you've stayed in that role, but there's been some, you know, substantive change, not only in terms of your own role, but also, you know, Morris Corporation in terms of its ownership, etc. During that period, hasn't there? Um, not substantive. I think the growth is more the substantive change. I mean, when I started with the business, we turned over three million, and and um, we um, we drove the business to a three hundred million dollar mark. So mm -hmm. that is enormous change required sure. and it never ends the systems and processes mm -hmm. just when you think you've got them where you need to be mm -hmm. you grow again and they need to change um, the ownership piece was um, around five years ago where we decided that we might um, 
going back to your previous comment about owning villages, yes, we might get into that market. Right. So whilst we were very fine, finally set up for um, our contracts business with mm-hmm. our clients, mm-hmm. um, that required serious capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to um, bring a private equity firm into the organisation, uh, which we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's that's um, that was at the end of the boom. Right. So very not good timing. Mm-hmm. Um, so apart from the financial side of that deal, you know, for me personally, though, it was um, they brought a lot of governance and structure to the business, and that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Uh, but that private equity arrangement is concluded now, hasn't it? It's concluding as oh, we it's concluding. speak. Yes, okay, it's right. five years down the track, uh-huh. and as, as most people know, it's common for private equity sure. to sort of exit around the five-year mark. Yep. Um, and yes, it's it's unfortunately no secret at the moment that we're going through a sales process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've, uh, a lot of organisations said start fairly humbly in terms of being a private business, and then move into you know selling a stake or a, a large share of their business into private equity. Go through you know um, tremendous change in terms of the way that the business is being run and the goals of the organisation and so on. You know, as, uh, what was your own experience in terms of um, seeing how the business changed as a result of that during that period? Look, it, not significantly. Um, they, they certainly were very assisted being financial people very mm-hmm. systems orientated and, and then they certainly assisted back of house mm-hmm. with um, reviewing systems and um, giving their input and where we could improve or or us saying to them no you know that's probably an expensive option and we don't need it mm-hmm. um, sorry what was the other part of the question Richard uh, well I suppose you know the 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 types of structural change that you witnessed during that time and yeah. how the goals of the organisation may have uh, changed with different drivers and, and, you know, different outcomes expected? Well, I, I guess the goal bringing them in was this um, um, development of this commercial, what we call the commercial side of the business, owning yeah. the villages, and it didn't get to that. They were far more conservative than we expected. Okay. Um, and, look, in hindsight... Given it was the end of the boom, sure, probably quite rightly. Okay. Yes. Um, so we never grew mm-hmm. that side of the business with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we grew debt. Yeah. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, so look, it is what it is, mm-hmm. really. Okay. Mm. And what about in terms of your own personal leadership style? As you said, the business gone through you know tremendous growth during that time. Um, your responsibilities have no doubt um, uh, grown commensurate with that. How, how have you, uh, you know, maintained the energy as a leader, and also you know ensured that you're staying um, relevant and and you're stretching yourself professionally? Yeah, look, I've got two answers to that. Right. Um, the first one is, I was eight years into eight and a half years into the CEO role. Um, and actually it was just about the time that the private equity bought in well it was the time mm-hmm. and I'd um, you know we'd had a huge huge growth path with no support from the bankers we mm-hmm. had a million dollar overdraft and 
So we had to grow the business on retained profits. Um, and it was it was hard. It was really, really hard. So um, I'm dealing with some strategies. At mm -hmm. the time, I didn't realise, but burnout, mm -hmm. to co cope with burnout. Um, and at this particular time, private equity came in and I'd sort of said to them, look, I business was booming, fantastic mm -hmm. business. I said, I think I need to work a nine-day fortnight. That was my, one of my strategies. Mm -hmm. No, sorry, you need to put in 100%, 10%. Right. So I um, resigned. And anyway, they, they came back and they offered me a role in marketing. Um, mm -hmm. No business development, just marketing. Mm -hmm. nine, day, nine day fortnight. Right. So they were very good. Yeah. In that, they, they got another CEO in. Um, and I, I kept it, even though I was still part of the executive team, I kept arm's length. Um, you need to, you know, mm -hmm. old CEO, new CEO. Sure. And just watched and worked and, and felt like I was on a break. You know, I tell everyone I had a break and they say, oh, what do you do on your break? And I said, well, actually, no, I was <laughs> actually working nine-day fortnight. But, right. um um, and look, I just did not realise. It was just, you know, first I had a huge rest. Mm -hmm. Second, I completely rejuvenated. But what I didn't realise at the time was the ref what the reflection was going on within myself mm -hmm. subconsciously. Um, and when came the time for me to go back into the CEO role, um, I was ready. Mm -hmm. I accepted. And gee, I'd grown so much. that It was one of the most... Um, critical parts of my career, right. I think, was to have that break. And what sort of period of time was that? 19 months. 19 months, mm. okay. Still working, but sure. away from yeah. the CEO role, and I could sit back and think, really think about what I used to do well, mm -hmm. what I wasn't doing well, and what I needed to change. Mm -hmm. and, what, and what, you know, uh, you said that was an amazing experience and there mm. were so many lessons learned, etc. Mm. What What were some of the, the key... Um, uh, learnings that you derived from that? Probably this focus piece. Okay. Yeah. So, like I said, the drive is inherent. That's with me. I'm mm -hmm. blessed. Mm -hmm. It's more about prioritisation and focus. Mm -hmm. I think when you get overwhelmed, you just you go in every direction. Right. Um, so now, not that I didn't have a one-page strategy map, but now it's my Bible. Okay. And... Um, Every day I look at it and I mm -hmm. look at the priorities and I don't just look at what's today, what's the week. Mm -hmm. It's um, managing my time. It's what we've got to be doing in 12 months and what mm -hmm. we've got to be doing in three years' time. Right. Uh, so constant focus mm -hmm. and prioritisation because mm -hmm. you can't do everything. And so um, uh, what do you see in your role as CEO as being the key things that you need to put your focus into and be delegating and, and uh, releasing other tasks out to some of your team members? Well, it's the, the strategy, the company strategy, mm -hmm. and what we have to do to achieve that. And mm -hmm. that, that's then you work out what you need to be doing daily, weekly, mm -hmm. monthly, quarterly, yearly. We, I never plan more than about three years out because okay. we're such a dynamic business. Right. Um, I actually don't do anything <laughs> my, my day is made up with meeting meetings meeting with people yep and just you know uh, leaving a small chunk to follow up on emails mm -hmm. but, um, 
you know, there's no specific mm-hmm. task I find myself doing. It's it's just, yeah, it's that delegation mm-hmm. through my team. So would you say that prior to your uh, stepping back from the CEO role, you were um, less uh, willing to delegate and you were trying to do too much yourself and then yes. coming back into the role, it was a conscious decision to make sure I don't burn out I just need to delegate more. It was, and it wasn't always just driven by me. Like I said, we had the bank situation with the million-dollar overdraft. So, you know, we were struggling Mm -hmm. um, with the growth, and you can imagine with cash flow. Mm -hmm. So it was very – we couldn't always pay what we wanted to pay. So, you know, maybe I didn't always have the best team around me either. Um, just before I, I did step down, we'd negotiated a new deal with the bank and, and um, um, yeah, it was it was a good deal. Mm-hmm. So it, it opened up the purse a little bit to mm-hmm. enable um, the team to, 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 to get a stronger team around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's key too, mm-hmm. you know, good people in your team, absolutely. Sure. Mm-hmm. You, um, you've had some health challenges through your career. You, by your own admission, you, know, you felt that you'd, you'd burnt out. Um, now, you know, how much uh, uh, priority or you know, what do you do in terms of making sure that you, you know, look after yourself and, and, uh, and work into your week things that are going to keep you, um, you know, healthy and vital and you know, uh, up for the challenge? Yeah, and lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um, from a management's perspective, I think it is deal with the hard stuff immediately. Don't let it just sit there. And there's always a lot of yeah. hard stuff. Okay. So just deal with it immediately. Get on the phone and, and sort it as mm-hmm. quick as you possibly can. Um, just arranging your time and your focus and your priorities so you know that you're working on what is most important. Uh, having good people around you, all probably all the things that I've mm-hmm. just talked about. I don't think I'll ever go back into that space now. I, I feel like I'm in the prime of my career. Okay. Um, and loving it. Yeah. I one of the things I did externally was buy beach house. Okay. So you know I'll work here twenty four seven during the week if I need, but on that Friday afternoon I head up the beach house, and I come back Monday morning, and um, that's my time. Right. Unless there's a crisis, and um, there's not very often yeah. a crisis of that magnitude that you know someone sure. else can't deal with over the weekend or can't wait till Monday. And that's on the Sunshine Coast. Mm. Your family uh, still up there? Yes, they're on the bottom end. They're all in the Malula Bar end. Okay. Um, I chose to go more up the Noosa end. Okay. So there's a little nice little distance <laughs> between us. <laughs> oh, very good. And so, um, uh, you know, it's quite an amazing story. Somebody grows up on a farm, they leave school at the end of grade 11, you know, start working in reception and now, you know, the CEO of a very significant organisation. You've mentioned a number of your sort of, you know, traits about being determined and taking risks and, and being a hard worker, et cetera. But for people who are listening to this uh, who, you know, are inspired and would like to achieve, you know, similar things in terms of their own career, you know, what, what are some of the key learnings you've had or the key bits of advice that you'd offer people? Yeah, sure. Look, um, there are no shortcuts. Okay. It does take hard work, mm-hmm. lots of hard work, and eventually you'll reap the re- rewards. Um, another one is about results. I, it's not important 
really how you get the results as long as there's integrity there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process to get the results is not important. It's the results that count. And, you know, my team is so diverse, so different. I do I, I lead them completely differently, everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm very flexible in my leadership style and allow them to achieve how they feel their strengths enable them to, to achieve. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not about the process. Um, it's about the results. Mm. It's interesting that you say... You know, it's not how you get there, it's the results you achieve, but, you know, as long as, as long as it's done with integrity. So when you're thinking about your own work and also the work of your team, how, how do you um, uh, ensure that, you know, things are looked at through a lens of integrity and, and that's a, um, you know, a, a critical element of, you know, the work at hand? Yeah, okay. Um, integrity always is... Been, always been a core value for Morris. So, mm-hmm. um, and we live and breathe our core values. Mm-hmm. We um, they they through used through every stage of the employment process, from the job um, interview, mm-hmm. the job um, the, the induction, the onboarding, right through to the exit interview, employee of the month. Um, probably a lot of the common ways people will use their core value. They're not just lip service. They absolutely mean everything. But more recently, um, when I came back into this role, I realised how very, very, very important that um, customer service side of the business was mm-hmm. and... Um, the humanity side. Mm-hmm. Um, I do go to a lot of World Business Forum conferences as continuous learning and very recently there was a number of global marketing leaders that stood up and basically said if you're not into high tech in the future you've got you damn well better be into humanity or you're not going to survive as mm-hmm. a company. And I really took that on board because we do do it. Um, and I decided that that's the way, that's a point of differentiation for our company. And mm-hmm. we've um, set up this service model called 3B. Uh-huh. Um, and it's be friendly, be connected, be real. Mm-hmm. And we've driven that as, through the culture of the organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been two years now. Okay. Um, it's an ongoing journey, but gee, it has, people have just picked it up and grabbed it. I'm so, so proud of this journey and the, the change in the culture, I never ever would have dreamed in my wildest dreams that um, all our employees talk about 3B. Mm-hmm. Our em, em, clients talk about 3B. I get emails from our clients saying, oh, these guys did a wonderful job and they did this and they did that and they really displayed the, the 3B mm. service model. That's excellent. And very, that happens very often mm-hmm. um, you know half our newsletter is about 3B stories and what our employees have done an example was um, one of our sites uh, our assistant village manager they work two weeks on one week off generally right and um, it was over Christmas period and normally if you get Christmas off you, you know you're very lucky um, this guy got Christmas off and he went back into Interside on his R and R, just to be Santa. Oh, okay. Christmas. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no. Look, very, very, very proud of Three B. That's our differentiator mm-hmm. from the rest of 
the multinationals, all mm -hmm. our competitors. We do it really well. I just had a call yesterday, you know, a client call saying, I can't believe how friendly your staff are. They're the mm -hmm. friendliest I've ever come across. And That's I've worked excellent. a lot, you know, a long, mm -hmm. a loss, you know, worked through a lot of businesses. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned earlier you feel that you're in the peak of your career now. Mm. Uh, so what kind of things are you excited about for yourself professionally in the future? Good question. I'm really looking, my, my time on the AMA board's um, only very, very new. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it must be amazing to sit in a room with those people and, uh, you know, be part of that cohort. Yes, yes, yeah. It's very, very prestigious, mm -hmm. actually. You've got the managing director of um, Woodside, managing director of ExxonMobil, right. New Press, Newmont. So um, are learning a lot. Um, that that organisation actually lobbies government, mm -hmm. so their connections within government are very, very strong. Mm -hmm. um, just went been to Parliament House recently and met a lot of the ministers. Um, and IR, they lobby, lobby them around industrial relations. So okay. my knowledge there is obviously having to increase as well. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, if we were sitting down and chatting in sort of five or ten years' time, what would you hope to be doing then? Might be hoping to do a nine-day fortnight, but right. I won't, certainly won't want to be retired. Okay. I, I absolutely love working look it'll a little bit will depend on what happens during this sale process mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. um mo you know the companies that are looking at us are multinational or international which mm -hmm. may be able to broaden my horizons okay uh so that is quite exciting for yeah. me um yeah the board thing down the track i mean i think in a few years time you know, 10 or so, when I do want to work mm -hmm. less, mm -hmm. um, some board appointments sort of interest me, mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't want to do that full-time at the moment. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really up for a challenge, and, and actually, this service model, I, I've got a vision. No one does customer service really well. There's mm -hmm. not, it, globally, mm. there's not too many companies in the world that do customer service well, so I've got a vision um, to... Uh, see this 3B model and the company that I'm with at the time mm -hmm. yeah, become okay. a world leader. And what about in terms of your ongoing professional development? You know, you've dipped in and out of formal education, you know, during your career, an mm. undergraduate degree and then, you know, an MBA, etc. Um, are you attracted to doing any more formal style business education? Don't know, Richard. That all depend. I, I I hate exams. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I really find attending conferences such as the World Business Forum, where they have speakers on a, mm -hmm. a number of subjects, and they're always up to date. Yeah. No matter what it is, is it, um, it's your mind goes a million miles an hour, mm -hmm. and, and it and brings out that creative side. So. Not only am I learning on one side, but I'm, I'm writing a million notes and thinking what I can do, even if it's not associated with what they're talking about, mm -hmm. um, thinking what I can do within the business and come back with a huge amount of ideas and, and improvements. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've spoken a lot about business today. Uh, mm -hmm. You've mentioned on the weekends you like to get up the coast to your uh, your weekend beach house, but what are some of the other things that uh, you enjoy doing uh, outside of work from a, a leisure and hobby point of view? 
anything to do with the beach. Okay. Beach walking, beach right. swimming, okay. kayaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love the beach. Fantastic. So, look, before we wrap it up and uh, let you get on with your day, anything finally you'd like to add or anything we haven't discussed that uh, you'd like to uh, leave the listeners with? I look, just probably a couple more points on and what I've learned, and um, I did mention before. You know, you you just always have to think about what what is best for the business, and mm-hmm. it constantly astounds me that people don't naturally do that all the time. You think yeah. because they're too self-serving, or yeah, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Um, so, what's best for the business and um, customers? Customers come first. Mm-hmm. Customers are so important. Bend over backwards for your customers. Be flexible be responsive Mm. but don't compromise integrity Mm. it's interesting you know uh, very relevant literally in the news uh, in the last couple of days the CEO of Australia Post and you know his salary of five and a half million dollars whatever and uh, you know the scrutiny of um, you know and um, just public outcry uh, around that and around you know Australia Post's um, uh, customer service orientation and so on Uh, it's um, you know, being a CEO is hard, you know. Uh, you do a job and you're paid a salary and the salary is determined by the board and then suddenly it's thrust into the limelight and a lot of things get questioned. Uh, it's definitely not for the uh, faint-hearted, is it? No, it definitely <laughs> isn't. <laughs> well, look, uh, Fiona, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks very much and have a fantastic afternoon. Uh, thanks, Richard. You too. Okay. Well, I trust you've enjoyed this conversation with Fiona. I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.